Welcome to Conflict Managed. I'm your host, Mary Brown. Today on Conflict Managed, Brittany Johnson shares with us highlights of her work in Spain, as well as a very tough situation. Listen as she tells us what happened and how she addressed the negative incident. Brittany also shares her experience of entering the workforce as COVID hit and what that has meant for her and her friends as they think about work-life balance and the benefits of remote and hybrid work. Brittany Johnson is from Martin, Tennessee. In May of 2020, she graduated summa cum laude from Middle Tennessee State with a Bachelor of Science in Global Studies, a Bachelor of Arts in Spanish, and a minor in economics. After a few COVID-related delays, she moved to Spain on a Fulbright grant. Due to the delays, she was permitted to reapply and was selected for a subsequent Fulbright grant for the 2021-2022 academic year. Brittany is still in Spain teaching at a public secondary school for a third academic year. Good morning, Brittany, and welcome to Conflict Managed. How are you this morning? I'm good. How are you? Great. So wonderful to be talking with you across the sea in Spain. Yes, ma'am. It's about 3 p.m. here. (laughs) All right. Well, let's just go ahead and get started by talking about your work history. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, Okay. Well, I am 24 now. um, And my first job, like a lot of people, was when I was 16. I used to work at the movie theater in Martin, uh, my hometown. And I was really active in high school, so I played a lot of sports and was involved in a lot of clubs, so I could only work on the weekends. Um, I'm pretty sure I, I saw you there most Friday nights with a member <laughs> of your family or two yes. or all the boys. Um, I feel like you got Coke Ices a lot. Is that right? That is yeah. true. <laughs> I remember the Ices. Um, and then in college, I had a part-time job at the library on campus. And then later in university, I took an internship at a domestic violence program before volunteering as an English, as a second language teacher um, for a local literacy program. And then when I graduated, I won an English teaching assistantship um, through Fulbright but it got delayed because of COVID. So I worked for a few months at a daycare and then I left for Spain the following January after my graduation. And I've been teaching in Spain ever since. Are you you're teaching ESL in Spain? Yes, English is a second language, but um, in the region of Spain where I am, Galicia, It's in the northwest part of Spain, just above Portugal. They operate on a multilingual system. So all of their core subjects are taught in English, Spanish, and Galician, which is their local language. Um, So I mostly work in English classes, but I also have worked in technology classes um, and economics classes. And this year in music. So it's like taught... All of those subjects are taught normally, but just in English, your students get like another level of language learning. That's neat. Is How long do you want to um, teach in that kind of environment? Um, in Spain, the program is renewable for three years. Um, and I was on a Fulbright grant until this year. So um, I have three more years after this. 
And um, the plan is now to stick with that until those three years are, are up. Oh, that's so neat. What a wonderful experience. So when mm-hmm. you think about your, your first jobs, um, what sticks out to you as a really good experience and what was good about it? Um, so far, I think that the best job experience I've had was the one previous to this. So um, I have switched schools in Spain starting this year. But the year before, I was in another school called Nosa Senora dos Hoyos Grandes, which is Galician. The name of the school is Our Lady of the Big Eyes, um, which I always thought was a fun name for a school. Um, But that was a wonderful experience. I felt very valued. Everybody was excited to have me there and to have a native speaker. And they were very eager to work with me and they took my thoughts and considerations very seriously um, and just had a wonderful work environment every day to walk into. Oh, that's so wonderful. Do you find since you're at the beginning of your career that that's not always the case, that somebody looks at you and says, oh, you're young, and so they discount your ideas or not so much? So far, I haven't had that issue. Um, Usually people are very excited to work with young people I think especially in terms of technology they they like you know to like call us in and then ask us how to work this excel sheet or to figure out how to cc someone so on an email so usually I feel very welcomed into the conversation uh people don't usually think young naive but they seem very welcoming overall You know, that's my experience as well. When I see someone who's younger, I think of all that they know that I don't know, you know, the world that you grew up in. um, I grew up in the 80s. And so I have the sort of both worlds, the tech world and the non-tech world. And when I see a young person, not only do I think, oh, they can help me with my tech, but I think Mm -hmm. of all the different kinds of ways you communicate with people that maybe I don't. And so what a wonderful partnership. And so it confuses me when I look out in the media and I see that the us versus them of the different generations, it just seems so manufactured to me because it just seems so obvious that we all have so much to learn from one another. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So what do you think about the experiences that you've had so far? Is there any that stick out that wasn't a good work situation? Um, so, yes. And it was actually at the same school that I loved so much. Um, I was there two academic years. And this incident happened my first academic year. Uh, It was towards the end of the school year. So it was around May. And I had to speak with um, a coworker about end of the year assessments. Um, Because the way that The program is structured. Like I said, I work with a lot of English classes, but then some other classes. So I I go into a lot of classrooms. So I am in constant communication with probably about six or seven teachers at any given time. And some of them I have classes with every week, some every two weeks. Um, And this coworker, we had class twice a week, every week. And along with that, a meeting, like a coordinating meeting, And I had to talk about the end of the year assessments with him. And he was also my bilingual coordinator 
which means that he's like a li liaison between my school and the local educational head of government. Um, because the way that it works is like kind of like in in Tennessee, we have the we have Tennessee's government that kind of have a big influence on the schools. They do too, but the regional government. And also he's a liaison with Fulbright, my program. And at the end of the year, he had to provide a performance assessment for me as part of this. So he wasn't really superior, but he was definitely in a position of power. And we had to have this meeting about the assessment, but he suggested that we meet outside of school to talk about it. Um, at a cafe, and this was pretty normal in Spain, so I said no problem. And long story short, as you can probably guess by the way this is going, he made a very direct move on me. Um, and just for some background, I had just turned 23. He was around 50. He was also married and had students at the school. So it was an extremely uncomfortable situation. Um, and in the end, I drafted a very professional response that night because he had messaged me asking to meet again and to talk about what had happened and I said that was not going to happen from this point forward we would only see each other at school in the context of school and I weighed my options um like I said this was at the end of the academic year at this point I already knew I was returning to the school the following year um, I had already told you that I was so happy at this school. It was a great experience. I was loving all of my students, all of my co-teachers, and I wanted to return and had every intention of returning. And so I was thinking how I should go forward being in this environment that was suddenly very uncomfortable with the professor that I worked with twice a week, along with these meetings uh, for classroom planning. So uh, I had already heard rumors that the program that he taught at my school was potentially moving to another school. So I decided to wait to take any internal action through the institution to that point until I got confirmation that he was going or staying. And in the meantime, I reached out to Fulbright in the Fulbright Commission and they were in agreement with me that there was like no legal basis for any action to be taken. It was an uncomfortable situation and it was really sleazy, but not illegal. Uh, and they also agreed that I was under no obligation to disclose to my school, but they did take his information. So another grantee would not be placed with him. And I thought about how I would feel going forward I am a very conflict-averse person, and I thought of my coworkers and of his children who were at that school and who I would potentially be teaching the next year, and I decided not to say anything if he were to leave schools, which in the end, his program did. Um, so I chose not to tell anybody at, at my school, and I feel very happy with that decision because I was able to stay and continue into the following year without any of that baggage and just start fresh with the same coworkers that I love, the same students that I love. And it was a great school year last year. And I'm so thankful that I stayed. I'm sorry that happened to you. 
but it sounds like, I mean, the steps that you took, um, that sounds like a model of what other people should do. How, how did you, I guess what I want to ask is, how did you come to these uh, decisions to go to Fulbright? Did you have anybody that you consulted, any friends or mentors? Yes. So that night I went to some close friends' house um, who are around my age and they are also teachers in in the same sort of position. And I told them exactly what happened. They actually helped me draft that message because I think as women, we're so prone to write friendly messages and try to like shake everything off. And they were so good at helping me construct a very professional, very definitive, we are not going to speak outside of the context of school. And they helped me feel supported in that they were going to support me in whatever decision I made. I did have one friend who really did push me to tell the school, um, but the others recognized that, again, there was no legal issue here. It was just sleazy. And it was up to how I felt about it. And after reaching out for, to Fulbright, I knew that they should know Fulbright always has made me feel supported. Um, so I think I messaged them kind of to get their feedback and kind of to see what they wanted me to do too, because I trusted them completely, especially my, my coordinator for Fulbright, who's in charge of my region. And she also made me feel supported and gave me like a kind of a guide to how I could go about the situation. And I also thought of all the women who've been in similar situations. And the following morning, after all this happened, we had one of those weekly meetings. And I remember walking up to the school, thinking how I was not going to allow this situation to affect my happiness at this job where I was so ecstatic to be. Um, and I felt very strong. And, you know, we had that those weekly meetings with an English coordinator who was not there that day or she showed up very late. So it was just us two at the beginning, hours after all this had happened. And he kept trying to like switch the conversation to what had happened. And I just shut it down completely. And I have never really had to be so direct uh, or firm. And I definitely saw a new part of myself and felt very proud as like a, a young adult, that is especially wonderful. a young woman. That is, that is really wonderful. I'm really happy for you. The power of having other people affirm our choices, you know, instead of saying, this is the only path you have to tell, you have to do this, but really having people who you can bounce ideas off of. And I'm sure if you had come up with something that really was not in your best interest, your friends would have said, oh, you know, Brittany, are you sure you want to do that? But, but looking at what would make you feel comfortable so many times with um, sexual harassment, we say, oh, you've got to do this particular thing. And then the woman becomes a victim again. Right. And so instead of empowering women to look at their options and make responsible choices that are good for them and for others. And that sounds like exactly what you did. You should feel proud. I'm so proud for you. <laughs> Thank you. But it's also a testimony to how quickly a situation can turn. Um, 
sometimes I talk to organizations and they say, everything is fine. Nothing's wrong here. And I'm happy for them. But if we don't have plans for when something turns sour, um, we can get caught off guard and maybe not be happy with how we reacted. But you built, you've inadvertently built up these wonderful support systems that you could trust and rely on so that when you did have a a really big problem, you had people that you could go to for sound advice and support and, and move forward. I think that's true. But you, you also made a point there that I, I remember when the situation was unfolding, we didn't have like an HR guideline book or, you know, usually places in the U S work environments, they have kind of like you said, like laid out guidelines. What do you do in this type of situation? And I do remember feeling kind of like lost at that point. And I remember distinctly like Googling in Spain how these policies are uh, because I did not have any information readily available to me. You know, I will support Fulbright to the end, but even Fulbright, I don't remember at orientation um, any advice related to this Mm. or any information given as to how the Spanish authorities or just like how a Spanish workplace addresses this type of thing and I I remember being at loss there and I was very thankful to have my friends but they were also foreigners too one of them was from the U.S. the other two were from the U.K. and we were all very familiar with our own country's policies and how we would go about this in, in that situation but we did all feel kind of lost here so I think it's so important for all of these organizations and work environment and work environments to have these guidelines laid out. So like you said, we can be prepared. Absolutely. And uh, a lot of times when we're in orientation, we are excited about what we're doing and we don't think these problems are going to pop up. And that's why they should be there. Cause it's like, I think about like the first day of reading a syllabus, you know, uh, you're, it's the first day you're seeing who's in the class. You're seeing all these different things and you're thinking a little bit, but you're not in the nitty gritty of, of what's going to be required of you. And that's why it really is nice to have clear and concise policies. So if something happens, um, I mean, certainly, I mean, people get sexually harassed all the time. So it's not like it's a shock when it happens. So there should be a policy that people can, can fall back on as to different routes of what to take. Yeah. It seems, seems pretty straightforward that that should be, be in place for people, you know, especially people abroad who aren't, you know, uh, familiar with how, how things are, are taken. Yeah. Well, I'm happy for you that you were able to resolve that situation in a way that was comfortable for you. And it's something that you can look back on and the courage that you had to, to act in a way that was commensurate with your values and your own personal integrity. That must feel, feel really good. Yes, and to continue on at that school and make it such a good experience and to have the opportunity to learn from that situation. Going forward, if that would ever happen again, I hope that it doesn't, but statistically, it probably will. Um, I have a better understanding of how I want to present myself from the beginning. You know, I, again, I think as women, we are just so prone to be friendly and present this like bubbly version of ourselves, And I don't think we should filter that. 
you know, I think that being positive is a big part of what makes a work environment um, a happy place to be. And, but at the same time, I think that we should not equate friendliness with being a good coworker or over-friendly, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And I think I would feel more comfortable now just not going above and beyond in presenting myself. I don't know if I'm even explaining myself properly. Oh, sure. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> it's um, it's that, that sort of catch of you don't want people to think you're flirting with them. At the same time, why do I need to filter my personality? If my personality yes. is outgoing, why do you need to read in to it that it's something more when we're at work? Yes, exactly. The thing, you know, you mentioned that you were risk, uh, that, that you um, don't like conflict, which is most of us. Most of us don't really like conflict. And yet when we deal with a situation, um, we can learn so much from it. You know, when we actually deal with a situation that's in front of us, which um, of course, I, I mean, I want to say, well, you had to deal with it. It was right there. But many people actually don't because they don't know what to do. They, you know, they think, well, if I say something, I'm risking this or it's going to get worse for me or, you know, whatever the terrible consequences we spill, spill out in our mind. And so if you imagine a scenario where you just didn't say anything at all to save yourself the, the, the pain of going, dealing directly with the situation, um, of course, we don't know what the future would hold, but um, but because you did deal with it, you gained so much. And that's what I hope everybody can learn about conflict is that, that conflict comes to us all the time. It's just normal. It happens. But it's up to us how we deal with it. And when we actually deal with it head on, I mean, you dealt with it directly. You did not let this spin out of control. Then you got to control the narrative and you got to act in a way um, of what you're proud of. And that can be all of us. And I, and I hope all of us get better at dealing with situations right away. So when you think about the future of work and uh, what you want workplaces to look like so that not only people are treated with dignity and respect, but that they thrive, they can be the best versions of themselves. What do you think workplaces need to do or change in order to help people thrive? Um, I think that it starts with having everybody coming in with a positive attitude and a genuine interest in the people that they work with. Because when you care about someone as a person, that will extend to their well-being in and out of work. And if you take the time to get to know the people that are sitting next to you and you show an interest in their lives and learn about their family and their hobbies and their favorite shows on Netflix, it will create a better environment for everyone. Um, maybe you will even go grab a coffee or a drink with them once in a while and you will value them as human beings. And I also, I think it's important too, um, also, I'm a, on the cusp of a millennial Gen Z. So I think that my generation really recognizes the value of work-life balance. Uh, after living almost two years in Europe, I am taking what I've seen here too. And I think that has kind of built this perspective. 
But I think that I will always invest a lot of my energy and passion into work. And I will be generally happy to do so as most of us, we love the gratification of seeing the product of hard work complete. But at the same time, I think it's so important to recognize that when you are out of work for the day, like you are free and you shouldn't feel guilty about not immediately responding to an email or staying late every week. And you just, you have to be honest about what you need and everyone needs to disconnect. I think that if we go back to, you know, showing a genuine interest in the people that you work with, like you'll recognize that they need that too. And you can respect their time because at the end, it's best for everybody. Because if you're so consumed with work, you're likely to get burnout and maybe you'll resent your work environment, maybe even the job itself, maybe even the people who are in that work environment. And that will hurt productivity it will definitely hurt your sense of being and we can't continue like that, I think. Yeah, I, I, I agree. You know, this idea of belonging, of seeing people and knowing people at work. I wonder if people have gotten away from that by, you know, we don't want to pry. No, the, the option is not prying and getting into people's personal space uninvited. But when we naturally treat people with respect and we are, as you said, genuinely interested in them, then we naturally share because we're whole people. Um, We're not just people at work, people at home. We are whole people. And since we spend most of our day with the people at work, to have to pretend or to um, to feel like nobody cares what I'm saying here. So I'm not going to say anything. They just want me to fill out these spreadsheets or be on these sales calls. Um, you're not going to get the best of them at work because they don't feel that um, that sense of care that you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I'm not sure how we get out of that mentality Um in the U.S., have you noticed it different? Um, a different mentality living in Europe about this work-life balance. Definitely, um, you know, in Spain, siesta is very much alive. So even the work hours are different. Work hours usually for businesses are from ten to two. You have the two-hour siesta where you go home, you eat lunch with your family, and then you go back from four to eight. Uh, schools are similar; they start a little bit earlier. My school day starts at 8.45, it ends at 2.35. So they go home, same thing, and eat with their families. And that gives time to not only like fill your body with good healthy food, I just can't even imagine eating a quick meal like over my computer at a desk anymore. Uh, Because that's what so many of us do. But also it can get frustrating at points. Spanish bureaucracy is very much real. Um, they will not respond to any email, any any message, no matter how urgent when it's past working hours. Um, and that can that can get quite frustrating for an American who's very used to like efficiency and constant communication. So I mean, there are you know pros and cons, but overall, I think that. I see a greater respect for for people's time here and a greater 
level of satisfaction and and life um and in their professional lives too maybe but not always you know Spain is still they've never recovered completely from the 2008 recession and there's a whole box of socioeconomic variables to that would take a whole podcast to get into so it's (laughs) complicated but yeah Right. I mean, I don't think any one country has it necessarily right. And, but we can certainly learn from what other cultures are getting right. So how can we transport that and, um, you know, put it into the vernacular of where we live? And I think that's really exciting about this post-COVID world that we live in, that all organizations have the real opportunity to reimagine work. It doesn't have to be like it was before. And so to really think about if our end goal is to have a thriving business where we um, produce whatever we're producing and treating customers a certain way, how are we going to reimagine our workers, our work environment to bring that about? And at the end of the day, when you have healthy workers of body and mind and they feel a sense of belonging, their productivity, their engagement, their longevity their creativity is going to rise and that's only going to be beneficial for the organization. So to really stop and take time to imagine what does that look like? You know, do, you know, this whole question of do people have to come in from being at home or do we have a all remote office or a hybrid? And if it is hybrid, what are they going to get when they come in? And are they going to come into a cubicle farm who, who, Whoever thought this was, was a good idea, I am not sure. <laughs> That's certainly not yeah. a sense of belonging. Um, I mean, I think I, I understand the idea behind it, but it's looks really abysmal. I mean, yeah, whenever I soulless. think of, yeah, <laughs> I always think of the office, you know, and I think um, none of those people look happy, you know, and no. uh, or really all that productive. How much more paper could they sell if uh, they had a better um, physical environment for them to work in? But. Mm-hmm. Um, any, any last thoughts about how, um, is there anything that you think employers are getting wrong or that they could key in more, um, for people of your age to have a better uh, working environment? Um, well, I think my generation, you know, we specifically my age, I graduated May, 2020, right when COVID started. Uh, So most of my friends who are working in the United States, their first jobs either started completely remote um, or now a lot of them are in a hybrid system. So maybe they work Monday through Thursday and have Fridays off or or work from home days, I mean, or some of them even Tuesday through Thursday, they're in the office and the Monday and Friday, they're working from home. And that is something that every single one of my good friends really appreciates. I think most of them get more work done when they are home and they're able to, you know, go for little walks after lunch and they'll make their own lunch. And usually you eat healthier when you're eating at home, right? They're like making little salads or with like sweet potato fries. And they have the time to do that versus eating over their computer. And they're very satisfied with that type of schedule. And I think that's going to continue again, like I said, especially for this generation, my generation, we started working 
in a hybrid-like situation, if not completely hybrid. Um, and I think that when you work in that type of situation, you see how the flexibility helps you create, how it helps you perform, that they aren't going to want to go back. So I think, and I understand wanting to create a work environment. We've talked a lot about that and and creating a positive work environment where you're engaging with your um, coworkers. And that is difficult from a solely online format, but at least hybrid, I think is almost going to be essential going forward, depending on like the, the sector. Obviously it's not possible for many, but for a lot more it is. And I don't think they're going to take no for an answer, my generation. <laughs> right. And I almost wonder if this is going to help uh, young families, young women and, and men who um, decide to have children. You know, if you're in a hybrid work environment, and um, let's suppose, I mean, especially when you have an infant, uh, you could set up your system so that, you know, maybe you go in Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and your spouse is Tuesday, Thursday, um, or whatever it is for your situation, that it gives you more options than you have a baby and six to eight weeks later, you're in the office, which first, first of all, mm-hmm. family leave is absolutely ridiculous in this country, but. Oh yes. It's a year. <laughs> it's a year in Spain. Right. Hey, as as it also. should be. And it is in other countries. Um, so maybe <laughs> we need to work on that first, but um, you know, in the environment where it does allow you to maybe pick your kids up or um, go to soccer yeah. games or um, so that, if the work can get done whenever, then you do it around a life schedule, fit your, fit your work into your life versus the way other way around. No, I think that's so true. I, my sister-in-law, you know, she worked a hybrid type situation that was, it was fully in person, then COVID happened. So then it was fully remote. And then as they started to come back to work, it was the hybrid situation, but she was so happy with the remote situation because she had at that time one child one young child now she has two small children uh, both under the age of four and she loved the idea of of that flexibility um so much so that like she searched and she is now at a job that's fully remote because it gives her that flexibility it's like the kids are sick you know she's and she's able to do both from home um and it does bode well for young families in the in the U.S., I think. Well, Brittany, thank you so much for sharing your experiences with us. And I hope you have a lovely day. And you're probably fresh off your uh, uh, siesta, so. Yes, I am. <laughs> and All two right. coffees in. The lovely. Well, thank you so much. Take care. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much to Brittany for sharing with us and for sharing a really difficult and personal situation. Conflict happens to all of us, and difficult situations will arise and have arisen for us all. My hope is that we today invest in our own communities, build strong communities, so that when we're going through the hardships and our friends, our community is going through hardships, that we can bear each other's burdens and help each other out. Thank you for listening to Conflict Managed. I'm your host, Mary Brown. If there's someone you would like to see interviewed or a book you would like to see reviewed, let me know. Contact me at 3pconflictrestoration at gmail.com. 
Conflict Managed is produced by third-party workplace Conflict Restoration. You can find them online at 3pconflictrestoration.com. Our music is courtesy of Dove Pilot. And remember, conflict is normal and to be expected. Let's deal with it. Until next time, take care. <laughs>